We need to pray. Because we just declared to you, Father, that we want this worship to lead to a revival. That is, that is fun to sing, harder to truly want. Because for many of us, we're thinking about what we need to do after this time of worship. What's left on our schedule, what needs to get done before the week starts. So Father, I pray for myself and for my friends uh, that what we just declared to you would be true, more true in our hearts, uh, even now, as it was when we woke up this morning. Thank you, Father for the opportunity to be together, to be a church community. Speak this morning, amen. Well, good morning. I want to uh, squash some rumors up front. So this is the first weekend where I'm preaching as the acting senior pastor, and you'll notice that Elvin has been on an accordion and a keyboard, not the organ. Some of you are panicked right now that is this what it's gonna be like, Jeff? No more organ. So the organ's on Craigslist right now. I just want you to know that. <laughs> That's a joke. Is this yours? Somebody's phone. I'll take it and sell it. It'll be great. Um, don't worry, the organ is, is having, it needs to go to the doctor. We're fine, the organ's not going. The, the rest of you who are like, oh my gosh, I hope he was really serious that he was selling it on Craigslist. So. Welcome to Lake Avenue Church, if you're new with us. That, there's something in that that is so true of us. Um, I'm sure you've heard this phrase before. You might have used it in your own life or with your children or someone. It's this phrase, identity crisis. That person's going through an identity crisis. Um, my research showed me that the first time that was ever used was with the German psychologist, Eric Erikson. When he was explaining in adolescence what happens to a human being, where there's this, this war that happens between the cohesion of the identity versus confusion. Who am I is the big question of identity. And I think far too long and far too often the concept of that kind of role confusion versus cohesion is very easy for at least adults to look at younger people and say, that's what they're going through, that somehow I've navigated this and that I know who I am. I know how to answer the question of who I am. And I'll just share with you my thesis is that our world, each one of us in this room, and the church of Jesus Christ is in a constant identity crisis. Asking the question, who am I, isn't something we fully resolve at the magical age of 18 or 15 or 25, that when we go through life and in the world we live in, that we're constantly asking the question, who am I? And I think there are confusing answers to that question when it comes to the church that you and I are living at a time where there is a lot of confusion about what the church is. How do I know this? Because I get pamphlets and emails from all of you, from every company in the world, with the latest book that is declaring what a church somewhere, somehow, what they did and how, it, how God did it, and I can go to this conference, I can read this blog, I can do this, and, and we eat this stuff up because we wanna know what they did over there, and then maybe we can do that, and then something will change and happen, and we're, we're eager for that. 
Some of us, the church, the confusion around the church is that it's about a building or a venue. I find it so interesting, quite honestly. Here we have this amazing facility. I think some of us think it's amazing. Some of us, it's a, it's a whole lot. It's a lot to maintain. And that the, the newer church plants aren't having buildings, but if you read the literature of how a church plant views itself, it's, it's the same language. It's just they use the word venue versus property. This is our venue. The church is a venue or it's a building. Church is about consuming for many of us in our world. In fact, this phrase that's used, I've come to church to get fed. I think there's biblical language in there, but at the end of the day, do we come to church to consume? Do we come to church to come to the buffet of spirituality and of of church and I like the dishes I like and I'm just ready to load up my plate with what I already know and what I already like and if if there's a new dish introduced then I don't know, that doesn't feel like I'm getting fed, that feels like I'm getting tricked. I mean, there's just this consumeristic mentality for church. And, And frankly, I think, as Matthew has said, there is so much about church right now that's about the pastor or the person, the celebrity of personality. And so for many of you, you're here now, but, but we can't wait for our podcast to update tonight for the, the other pastors we listen to and the churches we're drawn to and the story of what God's doing in other places. I don't think any of these things are in and by themselves wrong, but it leads to confusion. And that's why we are pausing for 10 weeks and going through the book of Acts because we need some help. We need some truth of what the church is. And at Lake Avenue Church, the word of God is our authority. It's where we go for everything, especially in times of confusion, especially in times where we need truth and we need to know what is and what, how do we get cohesion, not confusion. And so the Word of God does that for us. And our guide for the next 10 weeks is the book of Acts. And it's going to be a ride, and I am so excited for us. We've titled the series, This Is Us. I'll talk about that in a moment. So let me talk briefly about, I want to frame the whole book of Acts for you, and then we're going to jump in today's sermon. Amen. I love that. That is good sound. We need more of that in this room, okay? You can handle it. At our buffet, children are allowed, okay? So, the book of Acts, it's part two of one collective work. Some of you know this, Luke, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts, single writer, two different volumes. That's the way you can think of it. Volume one, gospel of Luke. Volume two, the book of Acts. It's historical narrative writing. That means it's there so we can actually read real history of what happened with real people at a time in uh, in, time in the scriptures that was real, but it's, it's told in a story form. It's narrative, it's exciting, it's gripping. And when you dig into the book of Acts, and why the book of Acts is so important for us is there's a tension in this historical narrative book. And the tension are between these two extremes of descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive. So is the book of Acts there so that we can simply just get information of what God did at one time in history and we read it as history and it describes what God did and doesn't really have much context for us today? 
versus a reading of the book of Acts that's prescriptive, that we get these stories of what God did back in the time when Acts was, was, when the church was beginning, and in those stories are prescriptions for us today that we ought to be doing those same kinds of things or be that same kind of church. And in all the chatter out there of descriptive and prescriptive, I just want to suggest to you that it's both. It's both descriptive to what God did in a specific time, but, I, but it's also prescriptive. We've titled the series, This Is Us. That alone should tell you that the texts that we are going to look at in the book of Acts are ones that I believe are important for us in this concept of identity confusion, identity crisis. What are the prescriptions we need? Where do we need to, to hear from God's word about what we are supposed to be as a church? But also know that there are plenty of scriptures in the book of Acts that I think aren't prescriptive. For instance, if you did your homework and read the first chapter of Acts this week, we're going to be in verses 1 to 11, and we're going to treat it as a prescriptive text. Following it is this really interesting text about how they appoint a new apostle. And the way they do that, if you read, is they pick two names, and then they cast some votes. They draw lots. Now, none of us here would say that's how we should pick the spiritual leaders of the church today. Let's just put two names in a hat, pull one out, and whoever that person is, that's our new pastor. We would say, no, thank goodness that was descriptive of what God did back then, but we think there's, we have other texts about church leaders, and we have ways to discern, and how we, 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 so we don't read the book of Acts, we can't read that story and go, that's what the church needs to do now. But I want to warn you that the texts we are going to look at, they're prescriptive. So as we look at this, the description of what God did, there's going to be something in these texts that I believe are important for us right now in the larger vision of that we need some clarity, that there's some confusion. I also want to, to warn you up front, many people love the book of Acts. And I can't think of another book in the Bible that triggers as much passion and excitement and expectation as the book of Acts. And I've already heard it. Trader Joe's two weeks ago, at the back door two weeks ago. I can't, I'm so excited for Acts, because in Acts 18, there's this thing that happens, and that was the verse that where I understood who the Spirit was, and it, it was amazing. I can't wait till you get there. Acts triggers our passions. Sometimes our passions, quite honestly, are because we're taking a prescriptive text and, and we feel so convicted that the church hasn't been that. We, if we could just do that. And sometimes we take a descriptive text and make it prescriptive. And, and that's where some of these passions come in. And we need the wisdom to go through. But this series, we're not going to fully deal with that. I, I'm saying all this just to tell you this. If you are passionate about the book of Acts because of specific stories, of specific verses, of specific chapters, I just want to tell you, you're probably going to be disappointed a little bit in this series. We're only doing this for 10 weeks. There's only so much we can do in this 10 weeks. And even within the texts themselves that we pick, I'll tell you, I count at least nine different sermons we could do from the 11 verses we're going to read today. We could have a sermon on an ascension, resurrection, the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, local missions, global missions, discipleship, the role of scripture. But we're going to talk about patience and waiting. So if we come in and uh, ascension, that prophetic, this is thing that happens in, in 9, 10, and 11, Jeff, and I can't wait because that just brought the whole scripture together for me, like you're going to be a little disappointed. I ask you to, to pause back, enjoy the whole series, do the Bible studies, 
see what God will say to us as a collective body over these next 10 weeks. We're not hitting the whole book. In fact, we're only going up to chapter 15 for this round. I've already regretted this. I want you to know there's part of me thinks we'd just be an ax for the next year or two, and maybe we will. We need to see if the Spirit leads. But I wanted to give you some resources because I'm hoping that you're not just coming and hearing these messages and that's all you interact with the text. So I've thought about our full body here at Lake Avenue, and I want to just point out three resources to you. If you were to buy one resource to help you understand the book of Acts, I would recommend the one all the way to my left. You're right, John Stott. His commentary on the book of Acts is incredible. It is deep. We're going to have some at our book table. And I would say, even if you're not going to travel in the series, you need your own library. Get this commentary. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. If, you're, if you feel like you know everything about the book of Acts, yeah, I've had stopped for 30 years, Jeff, and, and who else, was there anything new? Any new? So this middle one, Willie James Jennings, a brand new commentary in the last year, it will push you. It'll probably say some things you don't fully agree or have heard before, but it's, it's a resource. It's not the Bible. And then over here, this book called Who is the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a commentary that focuses on watching the Spirit move through the book of Acts and Luke, and it's, it's written by Amos Young, Dr. Amos Young, who is, is the newly appointed dean of both the School of Theology and the School of Intercultural Studies at Fuller, Assemblies of God background, a very good friend of Matthew and Joanne John, and is actually going to come to preach to us during this series. He's an incredible guy. I've been getting to know him. Okay, enough of that. Can we get going on the sermon? Okay, buy your books. Everybody stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I hope you're, are you ready? Let's go. All right, here we go. Thanks, Perry. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go up to heaven. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So up to this point, there's been Easter Sunday. They've gone to the tomb. The tomb has been empty. Jesus has been resurrected. 
But if we don't know the story of Jesus, we kind of have this image that resurrection happens and Jesus is never to be experienced in the bodily form again on earth. But the book of Acts lets us know that Jesus actually physically came back and dwelt among his apostles for a period of 40 days. And in this time of 40 days, we get lots of information on what he is doing with his apostles, but I want us to see that he offers them one command in this text. And it's not the command that we would expect. He commands them to wait, to do nothing. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. I mean, for a moment, let's think about this. Jesus has spent his earthly ministry with his disciples, his now apostles. He's been speaking to them up into the, into the cross and the resurrection about their mission once he's gone, why he has come. They've even had some sampling out of trying some work where he's sent them into cities to tell the story of God and to, to declare who Jesus was to this world. Jesus has now done what he said he was going to do at that last supper. And they've got work to do. There are people in need. There are people who don't know Jesus. In fact, there are people who are alive who were mocking Jesus a month, month and a half earlier. You think how tempted they were? To like, hey, come with me, this person that you just killed, he's actually at my house having dinner with us, and you can see. Jesus tells them to wait, not because there's nothing to do, but something bigger, and we got to look at that. Why would Jesus ask his apostles to wait? There's clearly things to do. There's a mission to do. There's people who are sick, who need healing. There are people who don't know the story of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. There was work for them to do, and Jesus commands them to do nothing and to wait. Why? I think what we will see in this text is that the apostles are no different than many of us that oftentimes in our lives we are in a rush to get to work for Jesus. We are in a rush to do, do, do. And there's some amazing things that happen when we wait. There's some amazing things that have happened in your life and my life when we're not doing, when we're waiting, when we're being patient. And that these amazing things that happen to the apostles, I think, are the same kinds of things that can happen for you and me if we accept the command from Jesus to do nothing and to be with him and wait. And those things that we'll talk about this morning are perspective, purpose, and power. So, first thing I want us to look at, notice what happens in waiting. In times of waiting, we can learn the right perspective. We can learn the right perspective. I think it's a really important piece of information to notice that these 12 apostles, these people waiting with Jesus, he has, he's been resurrected, but they have had a front row seat to the life and ministry and the person of Jesus. This is the people who have been closest to him. They've had a, 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 a perspective and they've had access to Jesus in a way that is so profoundly more intimate than the rest of the world at this point. And guess what? They're not done learning yet. He still is teaching them. 
that he's spending 40 more days in an intensive course with them. Because the resurrected Jesus is still teaching. He is still helping us understand who he is and what this is all about. It tells us really in verse 3, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. We also will read later that he spoke about the Holy Spirit. So what was the curriculum that Jesus was teaching his apostles at this time? It was about the kingdom of God and it was about the Holy Spirit. These are huge topics. These are big, complex topics. They take time to understand. You have to spend time with the teacher. You have to spend time with the resurrected Jesus to understand when he speaks of the kingdom just what that means. When he speaks about the Holy Spirit and understanding the Holy Spirit, these are not subjects we can just master and test out of. These are subjects that we have ongoing learning probably for our whole life. These were the people who were supposed to be able to do it and get it, and they needed extra time. In times of waiting, we can learn the right perspective. I find it so interesting. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit, and we see in the reaction from the apostles when they say, Lord, are you, going to, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds, it's not time for you to know the times or dates the Father has set before his authority. I mean, notice this. Jesus was teaching about the kingdom and the Holy Spirit, and the apostles were thinking about Israel and an itinerary. Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God. They're talking about one nation. Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit, and they wanted to know the itinerary of what God was going to do. In one breath, Jesus is speaking of this expansive reality of the kingdom and this adventure, this you can't figure it out, you can't plan it, you can't control it aspect of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles were thinking small and specific. One way to think about this, the kingdom of Israel, that's the who. Jesus was teaching them about the who. Who's in this thing? Kingdom, kingdom. Holy Spirit and itinerary, the how. How does this get done? Are you going to do it now? Can we get the itinerary? Let us know. And Jesus says, no, you don't need to be concerned with those things. My spirit will come. We'll take care of that. So they needed time with the resurrected Jesus to get the right perspective. Even after all of Jesus' ministry with them, 40 extra days with the resurrected Jesus, they still had learning to do. We cannot get the right perspective about seeing the world, our mission, everything through a God-centered lens if we're not spending time with Jesus. And the resurrected Jesus is still teaching. The resurrected Jesus still says to you and to me, you have so much to learn. And there's going to be times in your learning where I'm trying to teach you here, and you're going to come really small. So we need to keep growing. I'm talking kingdom, you're talking Israel. Expansive parts of God to get the right perspective, to getting our who and how right. This happens when we wait. It happens when we linger with Jesus. If we don't have any time with Jesus and we just have a very simple understanding, then we'll miss out on this amazing 
at this amazing perspective of having kingdom eyes and to have a life led by the Spirit, not by ourselves. So Lake Avenue, I believe one of the calls here in this confusion that we are around in church is I think there is an invitation here to linger with Jesus. That's part of what we do as followers of Jesus is we, we wait, we're patient. We spend time with him, we learn from him. We understand his ways, we get the right perspective. Another thing I wanna look at this text, so we can, we can learn the right perspective, but in verse eight, we can also grasp our purpose. This happens in waiting. Now, there's two aspects of grasping our purpose I want us to see in verse eight. They're becoming and mission. Let me talk about them real quick. But this is the summary statement. This is the, if we were to boil down, what's the book of Acts about? How do we summarize it? This is the verse, and many of us know this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the the central verse that becomes true of what we will read throughout Acts. That's about the Spirit doing something and the expansive movement of God's people through the power of the Spirit. But I want you to notice something. In verse 8, it does not say, and you will do my witnessing in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end, you will do my, you know, it says you will be my witnessing. You will be my witness. There is a becoming part of our purpose. Our purpose is to become a witness, not become a great witnesser. Becoming versus doing. Now, there is a role for doing. We're actually going to see that the, but the cool thing is the doing part of following Jesus is empowered by his spirit, that God is interested in helping us become the kind of people he says we are. There's an order, but we can't do until we become. And I would argue this, Lake Avenue Church, that we are a church that is amazing at doing We are a church that has so much doing, I can't even keep up. Just today, we got a prayer meeting right after, grandparent seminar, parent seminar, we have a worship service at five, we have a a community meal at four. I mean, and and that's not it. There's more, because some of you have Bible study tonight. We've got more doing, 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 doing. In fact, I looked at our, 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 our ministry plan that we just approved at a congregational meeting through the lens of doing and becoming And it was hard for me to find some becoming in there. It's all the things we're going to do. And sometimes I wonder if Jesus is saying, stop and be with me. Become a witness. Don't do a bunch of stuff for me all the time. Witness isn't something we do. It's someone we become. There's also another purpose here. It's a mission. This is the do. Because there is a do part of this. Our purpose is to become a witness to Jesus to all people, all places, and all times. And this is that famous part of the scripture that, that we know if we follow Jesus a lot where we get these concentric circles, right? Where we get the map out and we understand the ancient world at that time and we realize that there's Jerusalem and then there's Judea and Samaria and then there's, there's the ends of the earth and this idea that God's mission in this world is to just be this global enterprise and it, and it is and aren't we glad for it because you and I are sitting here today because that became true. 
that it didn't just stay in Jerusalem. That he's not a one-nation God. It's not just about Israel. It's about the ends of the earth. That is so, so true. But when you and I look at a map or think about an image of concentric circles, guess what doesn't pop out on that map or those concentric circles? The harshness, the high call of those locations. It has nothing about anthropology or sociology or the political realities of that time. These were not just interesting cities to the apostles. It's not like you and I would think about it. Like, okay, we're gonna start our witness here in Pasadena. And we'll go a little bit wider. We'll get to Arizona. And while we're there, let's see the Grand Canyon, you know? And then ultimately, we'll get to New York, get a Broadway show, why we do this work for Jesus. Like, that's very neutral. There's not a lot of emotion in there. There's not a lot of conflict in there. These were, these were places where there were wars between these groups of people. There was racism between these, two, these groups of people. These were people that your family said, we don't interact with these kinds of people. We don't go to those places. So when Jesus is telling them, you're going to become my witness, and here's where you're going to, here's where you're going to go, that was terrifying. And my question for you and for me is, are, is the mission big enough for you? Or has Jesus saved you and like my, my home and then my, my blood, all of that is important. But our purpose is to become a witness to all people, all places, all times. And the kinds of things that we are going to see in the book of Acts is some crazy culture-crossing, risky kind of stuff for the name of Jesus. And part of the identity confusion in the church, I believe, is that our mission isn't big enough. It's just concentric circles or a graph. It doesn't carry with it that, yeah, those people, that's who, where I'm sending you. Or to that situation, even in your own family, we don't get an option out in mission. So in waiting, right, we get the right perspective. We start understanding God's way of seeing things, the kingdom and the Holy Spirit. And then we get our purpose. We understand that this isn't about a bunch of doing, it's about becoming someone. And then as we become that person, the mission that God sends us to, the one we participate in, is massive. And it calls us to people and places that are significantly off our radar, off of our hearts. But how do we do it? This is the, 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 the coolest part of this text. Because in waiting, it's not just we get a perspective, we get our purpose, but guess what? We realize we receive power to do all this. Back to 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And as the power of the Spirit comes on us, then what? Then you become my witness in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I know if we followed it perfectly, I would have put power second and then purpose, but I, I want to flip it because... We've got to understand we have a purpose, but here's the beautiful thing. The power that you and I need to fulfill this purpose is not something you and I can muster on our own. It's not something we generate within ourselves. It's not something we study for and take a test and then we've made it. It's nothing within our own human control. That's not the promise. The promise is that we will receive power, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I find it interesting, one commentary talked about that these disciples, you know, they're wrestling even when Jesus was to be crucified. I mean, could they, think, they couldn't think of anything better than to have Jesus beside them. And even these 40 days, like, don't, don't leave yet. Restore that kingdom so that, so that we stay with you in essence. We don't want this in between. Like, we're with you. And Jesus keeps pointing in his ministry and his words to his apostles at this point. There's actually something better than me beside you. And it's the Holy Spirit within you. And the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit is a promise of the living God living and dwelling inside of you. The Holy Spirit is a loaded topic. We are going to talk about the Holy Spirit over the next 10 weeks. We're not going to get through it all today. But my experience at Lake Avenue Church is I think there's a couple of extremes that are present in, our, in, in us. And one extreme is this. Holy Spirit's very abstract. I don't quite understand that. And so for some of us, we would never say it, and this is a famous maxim, that we're more comfortable with the Trinity that's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Like that's, that's the way the Trinity works for us. Because I can, I can touch and taste and justify and make sense of this, but this idea of the spirit living in me and how do I recognize that, that's a little much. And then there's another extreme that, that really kind of puts the Holy Spirit as the superhero of the Trinity and the other ones are kind of smaller, that everything's about the spirit. Both examples are horrible Trinitarian theology. And we're not going to go into that now because it's a very complex topic. But I, I want us to understand what we at Lake Avenue Church believe about the Holy Spirit. This is from our statement of faith. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of sin, the world of its guilt. He makes sinful people alive to God through faith in Christ. And through the Spirit, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Here's what I want you to hear. He convicts the world of its guilt. He makes sinful people alive to God. He indwells, he illuminates, he guides, he equips, he empowers. What we believe about the Spirit is that it's his work in us, not our work. That the power needed to fulfill the purpose that you and I were created for, to do the mission that we're called to, is not something we do on our own. This isn't about you. It's about Christ him through us, and that is a wild and crazy kind of declaration, but more than crazy, it should be the most freeing thing you have heard this morning, that you don't have to figure it all out, that you will receive power when you follow Jesus. We get the Spirit upon conversion, and then isn't it true that every now and then the power falls pretty hard on us, where you're in a situation in a, in a conversation with someone and you get a prompting and a leading to do something, to respond or to provide and, you, and that's the spirit falling on you and you walk away from that and you go, that was, there's nothing in me that does those things. That was all the spirit in my life. That's evidence. Our lives are evidence of his power in us but this is not about you. So let me reduce this. To fulfill the mission, to become the witnesses that we are called to be It is not about you and your own power. 
The scriptures even tell us it's in our weakness that Christ is made all the more. So it's not about us. His spirit will give us the power for the purpose. I think we often view the Holy Spirit like we do this cell phone. Do, do I have it on me today? Or did I leave it at home? As if it's something we can, an accessory to our life. And then even if we have it, we look at it and go, ah, kind of low battery today. So I don't know. And then what ends up happening when we think about the Holy Spirit this way, we start thinking that the church is some kind of like charging station. That we come here to this magical location with a low battery. Maybe we've left our phone, the Holy Spirit at home all week, and we come back here, and, and it better be good enough, charge me up. I, I want to make it till Monday at lunch this week. It's like really bad understanding of the Spirit, but truthfully, it's what we do. It's how we think about it. And that's part of the confusion, is all of a sudden, when we think about the Spirit as some accessory to our life, with a, with a battery situation that we can control, we start viewing the location of church as if that's what church is. And I hope you realize this. The church is not this building, right? The church... The church is the people of God. We will see this next week in Acts 2, so it's a whole other sermon. We're going to get there. But the church is not the building. The church is us. And his spirit is the power for us. It is not, we are not a location. We are not a venue. We are a people empowered by the Spirit to become the people, to become a witness, to do the work he's called us to. So, our summary. In times of waiting, in times of patience, we can gain the right perspective, we can find out what's true, we can find our purpose to become something, not do a bunch of things. We still do things, but we have to become as we do. And we understand that all of this is about the Spirit's power in our life and nothing we can do on our own. But I want to close the time with just a, a thought that emerged a little bit later in the week for me about these 11 verses. And luckily, it still starts with the letter P so that you can write it down. I, I've come to see these 11 verses as an invitation to prayer. In fact, we're going to catch up next week with these same apostles, and we're going to find them praying and waiting. So the result of this 40 days with Jesus finds them in a posture of prayer, waiting for the Spirit. I see in these 11 verses a similar invitation to you and to me. An invitation, because waiting doesn't mean not doing anything. This isn't about don't do anything. This is an invitation to prayer, to relationship with Jesus, an invitation to what I think is both intimacy and dependency. If we are not experiencing intimacy with Jesus, then we won't understand any of this. But the problem is you and I live in a culture that substitutes vicinity for intimacy. Just because we're in vicinity of Jesus actually doesn't mean we're being intimate with Jesus. It's true in your own family. That's why some of you leave Thanksgiving so empty and Christmas so empty because you've been in the vicinity of your family but there's been no intimacy. 
or in your own marriage and home. Yeah, you, you share space, there's vicinity, but you lost the intimacy. There are too many followers of Jesus that are in the vicinity of Jesus but aren't experiencing the intimacy with Jesus. There's an invitation in this scripture and there's an invitation for you and for me to experience intimacy with Jesus. To wait and to be patient and to be in his presence, to understand his kingdom, his spirit, what this is all about. And it's in that intimacy we can cultivate relationship with God. And it's in that same intimacy we understand our dependency. If you don't, if you don't believe following Jesus involves a significant amount of freedom, you need more time with Jesus to understand how this whole thing works. It's the spirit of God that's the power. Not me and my new to-do list and the seven things I'm going to do for Jesus this week so that he likes me. That might work in your family of origin, the dysfunction. Don't bring that here with Jesus. Jesus says, be with me. Watch me work through you. I will give you power to do all of this. So Lake Avenue Church, do you hear an invitation from the resurrected Jesus this morning? Do you hear an invitation to say, hey, hey, wait, be patient, be with me, learn from me, let me change your perspective, let me reaffirm what this whole purpose of your life is about, and and wait for the power, my power, to come upon you. I mean, this is the invitation, and this is us, it should be us. Surely we're not the first church in history who's had identity confusion, identity crisis. In fact, I think the story of the church is probably that over and over and over again with the Spirit of God doing what the Spirit of God does is what he promises is work through our weakness to call people to faith and convict the world, all of that. But I read a quote this week from Martin Lloyd-Jones who was a minister at Westminster Chapel in London. Maybe you know of him. He is, he's a legend. Now, this was written decades ago, but I think it could be true for the church today. So don't be triggered by some of his words and bring our political ideology into his words. He's talking about followers of Jesus and their perspective of what we do when there's confusion in church. How do we, how do we, get, out, how do we get unstuck? How do we experience the revival that we've just said we wanted? What happens? How do, how do, what do we do? What, do? what do followers of Jesus do? And he says this. Conservatives would rather work to reform church theology and practice Intellectuals doubt supernatural intervention. Rationalists dismiss emotional enthusiasm. All convene committees and organize campaigns. But few will plead for revival. Few will stop. Few will wait. Few will be patient and accept the invitation from God for intimacy, and to plead with him for revival. Lake, will you join me in pleading for revival? Will you accept the invitation to be a patient people pleading with God for revival in our hearts, in our church, in our culture? Uh, This weekend, I was reminded of a, a pretty painful story for me. I'm not going to go into the details, but the, the summary is someone that I love very deeply to this day, who I met serving Jesus here at Lake Avenue Church, 
for a long time hasn't been coming to Lake Avenue Church, is at a, at a different church. And I miss that relationship. I miss that rhythm of seeing my friend. And so yesterday morning, when I was at Pete's Coffee, looking over this message, I, was, I started Googling the church that he's a part of now. I found myself kind of obsessing. Then I looked at my sermon, and I went, Jeff, you are being so small right now. You are getting so specific. And I remember moving from feeling small and specific about this one person, and if this other church is some kind of competition, which it's not, And he took my small and specific question and turned it into pleading for revival. As I walked this block this week and yesterday around our church, I want to invite you to plead with me and be patient, to be a patient people and watch the power of God do what he does. Father, we need your help because left to our own, we are very small. We get into the minutia and the details. We get into the specifics. I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. God, that you would help us learn your perspective. Keep teaching us, resurrected Jesus. Keep showing us what your kingdom is and isn't. Keep helping us understand the presence of your Holy Spirit in our life and in the life of this church. God, help us become witnesses and stop doing a bunch of things if it's getting in the way of becoming who you want us to be. Help us understand the high call of this mission, not so that we can work harder or study more, but that we can look for your power all the more. So Holy Spirit, move in ways that bring people to faith, move in ways that correct our small thinking, move in ways that declare your kingdom, move in ways that get the confusion of what the church is out of our brains so that we can be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.